You're listening to Reach MD, the channel for medical professionals. Hi, this is Dr. Ann Goldberg, president of the National Lipid Association, and I'd like to welcome you to Lipid Luminations, hosted by Dr. Larry Caskell, presented by the National Lipid Association. Sleep apnea and its most common symptom, snoring, have long been viewed as a nuisance, but there's strong evidence that sleep apnea isn't just annoying, but can actually increase one's risk of a cardiac event. Joining me today on Lipid Luminations is Dr. James Ehrlich. Dr. Ehrlich is currently the Chief Medical Officer of Atherotech, Inc. He's an authority in the integration of imaging, physiologic, and laboratory technologies with conventional office-based assessment. James, welcome back to Lipid Luminations. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. Well, do you think that sleep apnea might be one of the most underrated risk factors for developing heart disease? I definitely do. Sleep apnea is conventionally detected when somebody has very obvious symptoms, and most physicians will recognize those symptoms. But by far the highest burden of sleep apnea is in individuals about whom sleep apnea would not be suspected. And some very intriguing studies that have come out of the Technion Institute in Israel have shown that we really need to start to pay attention to much younger people, people 15 to 20 years younger than we've conventionally detected people with sleep apnea because of the very high likelihood that they may be developing sleep disorders that will later lead to heart disease and contribute to metabolic syndrome. So help me make the link. How do you connect the two? How do you go from having sleep apnea to developing heart disease? Is it a correlation or is there actually some cause and effect? Well, at the very least, there are very strong correlations. We have to think of sleep apnea differently. We should be thinking of it as an oxidative stress disorder. We should be thinking of it as an endothelial function disorder. We should think of it as a manifestation of sympathetic overactivity, and especially as a lethal disorder that gives rise eventually or is associated strongly with heart attacks, strokes, heart failure, arrhythmias, and hypertension. So not only is it a leading cause of accidents and impairment of the quality of life, but years before an individual will show manifestations of either heart disease or sleep apnea, they have developed the milieu of pro-inflammatory biomarkers will, will detect this and oxidative stress disorder. And these things lead to cardiovascular disease at some point. So I think we have to think of it a little bit differently. It sounds to me, as you're talking about it, that when I see someone with erectile dysfunction, ED, I think of ED, endothelial dysfunction. And once again, this is another disease state that may be presenting, and you should immediately think this is endothelial dysfunction, and they're going to develop heart disease if they don't have it already. Well, there's a very, very high correlation between erectile dysfunction and endothelial dysfunction, but right. also... Erectile dysfunction could be a very prominent manifestation of obstructive sleep apnea. And so they all interact. So when we see a patient who we believe has metabolic syndrome, we should think of sleep apnea. When we see a diabetic, we should think of sleep apnea. And when we see certain types of dyslipidemias in obese people or people who are at risk, we should think of sleep apnea. But we should also think of that in the younger person, perhaps a 30-year-old with a little bit of hypertension and a big neck. We've examined hundreds of former NFL football players who have 
large necks, and we're seeing about a 40 to 45% incidence in this group of sleep apnea, defined as an aptic hypoptic index greater than 5. So sleep apnea comes in a lot of shapes and sizes, but the research in Israel has shown that we can only improve mortality if we detect it early, so that it's important to treat the 50-year-old or the 55-year-old who now has manifest sleep apnea, and you will improve their quality of life. But you can't show that you'll actually improve their longevity. But if we detect it in the 20s and 30s, often these are children of people who've had sleep apnea, or they're, as I mentioned, young kids that are big that have hypertension. These are people who you will affect their longevity if we can detect it early. Do you see or do the studies play out a difference between the type of sleep apnea, central versus obstructive, or are they both leading down the same pathway? Well, they do have different mechanisms, and in general, central sleep apnea appears to be somewhat different disorder. And so the strength between central sleep apnea and the associations with cardiovascular disease has not been worked out as well, but there appears to be an increased risk in either disorder but obstructive sleep apnea, by far and away, is the commonly missed diagnosis. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to Lipid Luminations. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Kaskill. My guest today is Dr. James Ehrlich, Chief Medical Officer of Athrotech and an authority in imaging, physiologic, and laboratory technologies. And we're talking about sleep apnea and the heart, which seems to be one of the most underrated risk factors for heart disease. And it seems like we as physicians are, no pun intended, asleep at the wheel as to the effects of sleep apnea. Jim, you mentioned before that we should be looking at young hypertensives with thick necks. We should be looking at probably all our diabetics, all of our metabolic syndrome patients, is there someone that's going to slip through the cracks? Well, I think a lot of them will. I think, for example, there's a reason that there are now recommendations by sleep societies that anybody with diabetes should be tested for sleep apnea and anybody with sleep apnea should be tested for diabetes. So we're seeing about a 40% relationship between metabolic syndrome diabetes, and sleep apnea. So very, very high prevalence of sleep apnea in certain disorders. Certainly hypertensives. Many of us will see a hypertensive and assume that it's essential hypertension. But, you know, 57% of patients who have sleep apnea have hypertension. And up to 80% of patients with resistant hypertension have sleep apnea. So we can potentially cure these people of their hypertension if we actually treat what's really their problem. That's right. And it brings up a very important point that we do all sorts of things in secondary prevention. Somebody's had a heart attack, they've got about a 40% chance of having sleep apnea. We're not looking at our databases of patients who've had heart attacks wondering whether they have sleep apnea. But if we treat their sleep apnea, detect it and treat it, we're going to improve their ejection fraction, we're going to decrease their blood pressure, their CRP will come down nicely. And so we should think of the treatment of sleep apnea, whether it's CPAP or oral airways or surgery, as potentially a modality in secondary prevention and also primary prevention for those who've not had a manifest coronary event. But sleep disorders are relevant to arrhythmias, coronary disease, and its progression. 
We're seeing patients with elevated subclinical atherosclerosis, either carotid IMTs or corneal calcium. It's relevant to patients who have cardiomyopathy, heart failure, and studies published in the New England Journal of Medicine show that your stroke risk doubles with sleep apnea. So there's a very high cross-correlation, and these are common disorders where we're not necessarily thinking about sleep apnea if we're a primary care physician. Jim, what about young people that die of sudden cardiac death while they're sleeping? Do you think a large percentage of them are developing an arrhythmia, not necessarily from an MI, but potentially from sleep apnea? Well, there has been suggestions of that. Now, the MIs that occur with people with sleep apnea occur in what's called the wee hours of the night. In other words, about three hours earlier, three or four in the morning, you're getting the MIs from sleep apnea. There's no question that probably an underappreciated aspect of young people dying from cardiovascular disease could be sleep apnea. Because we're talking about hundreds of episodes of profound desaturation and potential for fatal arrhythmias occurring every night of their life. So those are the wee hours, and then there's another spike early in the morning, maybe 6, 7 a.m. Right. Those are probably a a vulnerable plaque rupturing, and is that from the morning surge of adrenaline? It could be. Remember, what you'll notice is a key way of detecting or suspecting sleep apnea is that these people are non-dippers as far as their blood pressure. So we normally should see a difference in blood pressure at night and right. the morning, we're not seeing that in patients with sleep apnea. And so they're non-dippers, and this is a clue. And so I think you're right. It's just that we do know that the prevalence of ordinary coronary events is higher in the early hours, 7 to 9 in the morning, Monday morning being the most common morning for events. And sometimes it's hard to distinguish, obviously, whether it's likely due to sleep apnea or to a ruptured plaque. Jim, what are you recommending to guys like me that are primary care physicians? Should I be ordering sleep studies on pretty much everyone you said, every diabetic, every hypertensive, everyone who has a waist size bigger than X number of inches, anyone who's complaining of daytime sleepiness, all of the above? Well, I think these people need to have be suspected as having sleep apnea. And I think realistically, the ones who have a very, very high likelihood because of symptoms probably deserve uh, polysomnography, a sleep lab experience. And the lesser likelihoods, what I call the intermediate risk people, people who have metabolic syndrome, Mm -hmm. people who have large necks and hypertension, younger people, family members of those with sleep apnea, it's hard to justify an expensive and burdensome use of sleep labs. And so we've been very, very happy with using an ambulatory device developed in Israel that can not only detect sleep apnea, but quantify its severity. And that sounds like something I can give the patient to go home with. Yeah, that's right. And what is that called? This device developed by Itamar Medical from Haifa area, Caesarea, that's called the WatchPat 100. Mm-hmm. They also do the endothelial testing. That's right. They have a device called the Endopat right. device that we've been very happy with. And the watch pet, the patient takes it home one night. They apply this to their arm. There's a device that downloads all information into a drive, mm-hmm. and we send that information to a sleep specialist for interpretation. 
It calculates aptic hypoptic index, oxygen to desaturation index, percentage of REM sleep, and oximetry, and creates a report that allows the sleep specialist to make an accurate determination of sleep apnea and quantify it. And uh, patients love it. We even do split night studies with it. And certainly for those patients who might have changed their titration of CPAP, they don't want to go back to a sleep lab. We can use this device to re-examine people, let's say, six months or a year after their diagnosis. And it's very cost-effective. Insurance normally pays for it these days. Well, Dr. James Ehrlich of Athrotech, I can't thank you enough for coming back on the show and enlightening me, and I'm going to take a very hard look at my patients and probably institute everything you talked about today. So thank you very much. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to Lipid Illuminations, presented by the National Lipid Association. For more information, please visit www.lipid.org. Reach MD, the channel for medical professionals.